God with their gifts that they bring by giving to brothers and sisters of like precious faith. Honor God with their prayers, with their worship. Just honor the Lord. Give themselves to God. Oh, hallelujah. Now, we are right in the midst of a great moving of God's Spirit. Praise God. I really feel tonight that I do need to preach. Otherwise, I'd just have you to worship for a while. But I believe that God wants me to do this. So I want you to take your Bibles and turn to John 15, verse 12 and through 14. Oh, hallelujah. Let's continue to worship the Lord. Now, we have some things, some lighthearted things we want to talk about and some very serious things, but I know that God's going to move. I want you to stay in tune with the Lord. John fifteen, twelve. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And then verse 13, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends, or for his friend. You're my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. And I want to speak on the subject, no greater love. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's honor the Lord with our praise once again. Would you lift your hands and praise the Lord? Oh, hallelujah. God, we love you. Lord, we worship you. God, we praise you. Oh, what a wonderful move of His Holy Spirit. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You may be seated. Praise God. I'll tell you, God has been so good to me. So very, very good to me. He's always taken care of me. I told someone just the other day, I said, I get so many invites to invitations to go out and eat, I could actually live off of the invitations. I would never have to buy groceries unless I wanted to just eat at home. Sister Grant and I could stay in pretty good shape just by eating from house to house. Recently, Sister Armenti had us over. God blessed her with a lovely place. And she was just so thrilled about this. And it is indeed a blessing of the Lord. And she had fried chicken. And I'll tell you, it was just out of this world. I think the national bird should be the chicken. It's the gospel bird, you know. <clears throat> Praise God. <laughs> and then Brother James Hawk had us over to his place not long ago, and he had jerk chicken. Now, jerk chicken is a Jamaican recipe. And I'll tell you, it is hot. It's hot. I'm telling you, it's hot. <clears throat> I mean, it is hot, hot, hot. And Sister Grant has been, I was so impressed 
Now, every meal we've had since then, Sister Grant has put jalapeno peppers in it and cayenne peppers. And <clears throat> so, <clears throat> I have just been eating the hot stuff lately. In fact, I had two or three jalapeno peppers for lunch. Would you believe that? There you go, Brother Trinidad. <clears throat> Brother Trinidad's going to come down to our house and make chicken enchiladas. Isn't that, would you like to come? How many of you like to come and eat those? He's going to furnish all the chickens and all the... <clears throat> I'll tell you. <clears throat> Praise. Praise God. I've eaten things recently so hot that Sister Grant could... She could boil one of my pairs of boots, and I wouldn't know the difference. <clears throat> Gets so hot, you just don't know what you're eating. Just, you know. <clears throat> but uh, it's just great. Speaking of love. <clears throat> I forgot what I was going to say. Would somebody help me out? Somebody help me out. Oh. Yes, did you notice that Becky has a new ring? How many of you noticed that? <clears throat> well, the inevitable is happening. <clears throat> now, to all of you men who are not married, let me give you a word of encouragement. If Glenn Guselman can find someone to please him, all of you have a chance. I mean, all of you have a chance. <clears throat> Perhaps there's no more Beckys out there, so you may be left out altogether because it takes a very, very special girl to look at this young man and say... <clears throat> I, I told him, I said, I'm going to lay it on you, thick and heavy, boy. Isn't that something? I'm telling you. Now, would you believe that before I married, that I was Glenn Usman's size? I was six years old, but that was before I was married. <laughs> I said, Glenn, I said, Glenn, aren't you robbing the cradle? He said, he said, uh, well, she's older than Sister Grant was when you married her. I said, that's true, but I was in the cradle too. <laughs> now you're, you're ready for Social Security. <laughs> uh, I'm just joking. <laughs> 
<clears throat> Glenn, you are one fantastic man. Isn't he? I want them to stand if they would. Let's give them a big hand. Would you do that? bless them. I'll tell you what, you'd search far and wide before you would find finer people than these two. I really mean it. I, You know, I, I just always have to lay it on these couples kind of heavy, you know. But uh, Glenn has developed into a great man of God, man of wisdom. Uh, I think Becky had something to do with that. <laughs> but but truthfully, they have devoted their time and attention to each other for some time now, and they've proven loyal to each other, and they will be married in May of 1995. God bless them. God bless them. Praise God. Praise God. <clears throat> now, You know, I had a great dream the other night. Now, I mean, this is this really happened. I dreamed that Brother James Hawk and I went fishing. I am serious with you. And we were we were sitting out on a pier. Now I'm not for sure what lake it was. One of the Madison lakes. And we had we just couldn't catch anything. We had not caught anything, and we had one worm left between us. I mean, that was all. We dug down in this, James says, there's only one worm left in here. And I said, well, I have had so many bites and I've lost so many. I want you to go ahead and try this. And he, he put this, now you, you're laughing like this is a joke. This, this dream actually happened. He put this worm on his hook and threw it in, and he the morning threw it in, and he pulled out the biggest bluegill. I mean, a big one like this. And he looked at that, and he says, boy, too bad we didn't have more bait. If we had a few bluegills like this, we would have a big fish fry. And it's, I'll tell you what let's do. Let's sacrifice the one bluegill. And I said, what do you, what do you mean? I'm serious with you. I dug down in my tackle box, and I had a treble hook that was about this long. Now, I don't know that they make them this long, but in my dream, they, it was this long. And so James says, well, we can't hook that. If we use this for bait, we catch a whale. And, and, and so so what are we going to do? And, and I looked at this little skinny line that I had, like a six-pound test line that you'd catch trout with. And James had one a little bit bigger, and we decided, even if we tie both of them together, whatever we'd catch, this wouldn't hold it. <laughs> so help me. I said, James, I got just the answer. I went out to the pickup truck and I came back with a dog chain. <laughs> I seriously, seriously, I did. It had the snap on it and everything. And I snapped it on this treble hook and he hooked it in this this bluegill and we dropped it in and we more than dropped it in and someone boom and just hit the hit that. And and I'm telling you, James was a pulling and I was a pulling and we were wrestling and we pulled and we pulled and we pulled and we pulled and we pulled. And finally, we pulled it out. It was a big muskie, and it was five feet long. I'm serious. 
When James held it up, it went past my eyes. And we said, it's got to be five feet long at least. And we looked at it, and then we saw this tag on it. I didn't tell you this, James, but there was a tag on it. We looked at it, and there was, it, was, it was tagged when it was a, a, a young muskie, obviously. And there was, if, if you caught this, you were supposed to take it to some sporting goods store, and you were to collect a, a, a sizable reward, you know. Well, I woke up. The alarm. <laughs> the, the alarm woke up before. We didn't eat the fish and I didn't get the money. But <clears throat> that's what alarms are good for. <laughs> but really, we said, man, this is the biggest. I mean, wow. We were posing, having our pictures made and everything, and I woke up. <clears throat> well, better luck, luck next time, Brother James and Brother Grant. Tell me I'm going to keep that dog chain handy. <laughs> I could hardly believe it. I, I dreamed that. I did. Well, when I dream dreams, I dream big ones. <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> I want to speak on no greater love. There are some things in the Scripture, and there are some things about life that... Uh, Quite frankly, it's, it's, it's very mind-boggling. I'm amazed at how many people, since this planet Earth has been here, that we have recorded in history that have given their lives for others. I've just got to tell you, I don't know of anything more honorable than to see a man go off to service and lay down his life for his country. I just, I don't, I don't know. There's just something that, that gets inside of me when I, I choke up when I think about this. I, I cry when I think about it. I, I just don't know of anything more honorable than that. And there was someone that would be willing to sacrifice all of their future that somebody else would have a, a great future. Now you think about that for a minute. They, they never lived to see the thing that they gave their life for. They never lived to see it. But then whenever I think about the human race, and I think about so many things that are true to nature, it is a natural thing to a degree for people to preserve themselves even at the expense of wasting the life of another. But, on the other hand, there is a force that works within that causes people to literally lay down their lives for others. Now, I, I am uh, I'm just amazed whenever I hear of some major health problem that some woman has, knowing that if she is found with child that she jeopardizes her own life, and yet she is willing to go through this just to bring another person into this world, someone that she can love, and give herself to. That happens all the time. You read about it, you hear about it, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 
29, Paul makes this statement. And, of course, he's talking about the order of the resurrection. And verse 29, he says, Else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead, if the dead raise not at all? Why are they then baptized for the dead? Question mark. And why stand we in jeopardy every hour? I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. Now, Paul is talking about being baptized for the dead. Now, I know, and I think last Sunday night we had some of our Mormon friends with us. But uh, the Mormons have this peculiar doctrine that they can go and be baptized for dead relatives. And those people can be saved as a result of being baptized for them. Now, there's nothing in the Scripture that teaches that. And I would say this unreservedly, even in the presence of our Mormon friends that they were here, the Mormons believe things equivalent to fairy tales. Things are not just, they absolutely are not in the Scripture anyplace. Now, what Paul is saying is, there is something about the debt that people have paid for us and for us reaching the pinnacle of success in God that we have reached that we, we just we simply want to do things to keep alive those things that have been done for us in other words we, we promote it we move it on we push it on we propagate it so basically what I think Paul is saying is that, that going all the way back to Calvary, every man that is baptized into the body of Christ is baptized not just for his own salvation, but to keep alive that which was handed down to him, even though those people are in their graves already. And I, I have known of children that would give their lives to the Lord after their parents died simply because they, at that time, they came to a startling reality that what their parents did was correct. And I have talked with so many people that, that said, I want to give my heart to God for mom's sake or for dad's sake. Now, are they doing it just for mom and dad? Well, I don't know what their motive is to start with. I'm sure that that's not the, that, you know, it encompasses more than just that. But that is a strong consideration. So, what Paul is saying is that, yeah, it, it is necessary for us to keep alive that which, uh, so many people sacrificed and even died for. Then I think of the Lord Himself, and when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, Matthew 26 will, is where I will be reading. If you will notice in verse 39 of Matthew 26, He went a little farther and He fell on His face and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, 
If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto his disciples and findeth them asleep. And he saith unto Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then you will find in verse 42, he prays again the second time. And he went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. He came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. He left them. He went away again. Now this is the third time. He prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples. And he found them asleep. This is when he said, just sleep on. He said, my hours come, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. You know, it seems to me, in all the things that Jesus ever did, he was more troubled about this one thing than anything else. I have read many, many things about the cup that Jesus was talking about. I really don't know that I can prove this scripturally. We know that Jesus knew that he would have to die a physical death for the sins of men. But beyond that, I'm not for sure that Jesus fully understood. Now you may say, well, he was God. Yes, but he was man. Now you have to understand that Jesus could not turn this on and off like a radio. It was God working through him and God controlling him. And I would rather say that God could speak through him when God desired because he was that submissive rather than Jesus desiring God to speak through him. I'm not for sure that Jesus, even though he knew all as God, that he fully understood everything as man. Now, what are you saying? I think he understood the physical death. But could it be that Jesus was exceedingly troubled because he also knew that there could be a possibility of a separation, even though it might be momentarily, a separation not only in a physical sense but also in a spiritual sense, that he would be cut away, cut off from God in a spiritual sense. And this was the part that troubled him the most. We do know that Jesus went and preached to spirits that were in prison. Whatever your, whatever your interpretation of all that would be, we know that he did experience something for us that we will not have to experience spiritually. And so he... He was brought to this moment, and he was troubled. However, 
the key to all of this was that he was saying, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. In other words, he was saying, now, God, I don't want to do this, but if that's the will of the Father, it has to be that way. I mean, it has to be that way. So I, I do see in this that there was a great turmoil that took place in the life of the Lord as a result of... Do we have a ring in the system? Uh, Brother Don, I don't know if you get this out or not. Maybe we can turn the, the monitor down or something. But uh, should I use that handheld mic? This is okay? But we do know that that the, the Lord was very troubled. But then, for our sake, and not for His own sake, but for our sake, He was saying, I'll go ahead and do this, even if that's what it means. Now, I find people who followed in His footsteps with a, with a, with a similar attitude. The Apostle Paul had such a great love for his brethren that this is what he said, he said, I would, that I become just a castaway uh, in order to see my, my brethren saved. Now, I have not talked with too many Christians that had that much compassion or love for their fellow man. Now, the strange thing about Paul was that he was a chosen vessel to the Gentiles. It seems like where his love really was is not the area in which he ministered all of his life. He spent most of his life ministering to the Gentile people even though he had such a love for his brothers, uh, his natural brothers, the, the Jewish people. Now, if you've never worked on the mission field or, or perhaps if you're not from a different part of the country, maybe you, you don't understand this. The truth of the matter is... Uh, you know, I do a whole lot of tall talk about Texas and everything, but there are certain things about your roots. And every time you pray about it, every time you consider it, uh, you, 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 you look at yourself as a foreigner. Uh, even though I consider this my home, and I, I'm sure that if, if I passed away, that I would be buried right here in Wisconsin, and that would be my desire. But uh, I do have a, a very, very strong feeling uh, for people that I went to high school with, people I grew up with. I have aunts and uncles and cousins that don't know God. I've got a very strong feeling for those people. And truthfully, whenever I pray about those people, I cannot pray about them without crying. There's just something about it. And yet God has chosen a path for me to take that so far has not intersected with the roads of, of those people just on some few special occasions. And I trust that, that uh, the will of God will continue for my life because I feel that's the only way that any man can be profitable. It is indeed the only way. And then uh, looking at it from a natural sense, I look out and I, 
I see people who have labored very faithfully on your jobs. I know of men here who have leg problems, men who have back problems, men who have chronic health problems day in and day out. They're up, they're going, they're ministering, uh, they're working, they're giving their their life. Uh, what for? Well, for a paycheck, because it takes a paycheck to bring home money, and it takes money to buy food, and it takes food to stay alive. And they just do this week after week, you know, month after month, year after year. And then I will say this, uh, I think there is a should be a special uh, spot in our heart for all of our single parents. Parents who have to serve as both father and mother or mother and father. We have some ladies of our congregation who have families and they have reared these children. They have gone. They have to play a dual role. They wash the clothes. They cook uh, the food. They keep the house. And yet they work on a job. And let me tell you, that's that is a job. I mean, a real job. And they do it. And if uh, <clears throat> there is any young person here whose mother or father fits in this particular uh, position, uh, you need to deeply respect the person who is giving their life, literally giving their life for you. I've seen Brother Manley stand behind the pulpit and preach in such pain. I've seen him take his legs and move them around, and he he couldn't hardly couldn't hardly stand here. And I would uh, tell him, Brother Manley, you don't have to do this. No, but I want to do this. And standing up at times is a very difficult thing for him. Of course, you know he's had this chronic arthritic problem. Uh, there are days in which he can hardly walk. But uh, still getting up, going to the, his job, sometimes working long hours, taking care of musicals and such, and day in and day out, do this. Giving his life for someone else. Now, naturally, we want to talk about this in a spiritual sense in 2 Timothy 2, the Apostle Paul talks about the good soldier. And he talks about spiritual reproduction. And this seems to be the formula for spiritual reproduction. Uh, and the things, 2 Timothy 2, 2, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. In other words... Basically, what he's saying is that we keep this gospel alive by passing it down from generation to generation. Basically, it's a responsibility of every Christian to find someone that doesn't know God, to take that person and teach that person the ways of the Lord, see that person give his life or her life to the Lord, then teach that person the responsibility of teaching others 
to do exactly what he has been done or what's been done for him. This is found in Matthew 28, 19. Uh, actually, if we want to just back up a little. We're talking about the Sermon on the Mount or the Great Commission. I'm sorry, I didn't mean the Sermon on the Mount. The Great Commission, the Great Commandment. Verse 16, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you all the way, even to the end of the world. Amen. I have a message I've taught in several different states. I've even taught it overseas. I've taught it in a youth, one youth convention. It's called the Jesus Method. I think I teach it in our Christian stewardship classes. But you see, the secret to the fulfillment of the commandment is found in the commandment itself. I know that we've, we've had a lot of people that you know, question, how can we see the Great Commission fulfilled? It's found right here. Basically, this is what he said. You go and find someone and teach them what they need to do to be saved. Now, that's the first teach. The second teach is found in verse 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And your commandment was to find a person and teach them what they need to do to be saved. So basically what he's saying is that the answer to the fulfillment of the Great Commission or to the evangelization of the world is to find someone teach them what they need to do to be saved, and after they have accepted the message of salvation, teaching, you should then teach them that they should teach somebody else what they need to do to be saved. And that's why we're all here, because somebody brought the message to us. And some people in the midst of a very busy life and in the midst of all kinds of physical problems and heartaches and trouble and financial despairs and such, they have continued to work for God. They've continued to be productive. They've given of their resources. We have taken up some very generous Christmas for Christ offerings. We're entering into that season. December the 18th, we'll be receiving our offering again. And there are people that have such a love for Jesus Christ and the message that saved them and also such a love for their fellow man that they don't want to see lost and be separated eternally from God, that uh, they would uh, give of their resources. And some have signed up and said they would give one half of all unexpected money to this. Now that is amazing. Uh, because some of these people need every penny they can possibly get their hands on. But they've said they would do that. And they said they would do it. Why? Because they think about a person, even though it's not themselves, they think about a person who will be separated eternally from God. 
And the same turmoil that was in the life of Jesus, the emotions that he displayed in the Garden of Gethsemane that caused his sweat to become as great drops of blood, literally gets a hold of some Christians to the point that they do not want to see their fellow man separated from God forever. I know of a man one time in a message that he was preaching when I was a kid. This is what he said he prayed. He said, I prayed that somehow God would just show a sinner friend of mine that I've been witnessing to, show him hell. And he said, I prayed that and I prayed that and I prayed that. And he said, one night while I was sleeping, God sent a dream to me. It was like a nightmare. He said, I saw myself in flames of hell. I saw myself lost, separated from God forever. He said, I saw the angels that threw me in. And I was cast into outer darkness. And I watched them as they disappeared. And I was screaming. There was nothing to hold on to. He said, I was flying through this terrible fire like a cinder being blown back and forth. And I remembered all the pain. And as I woke up, he said, I woke up and I was screaming. I was, I was, it was a nightmare. I was sweating all over, perspiring. So I got up and I got dressed. And I said, Lord, if you just show my neighbor that's unsaved that. But he said, my neighbor and I were working together on the same job. And when we got to, to the job that day, my neighbor told me, he said, you know what I did last night? He said, I had a dream. He said, what did you see? He said, I, I dreamed I died and I went to heaven. He said, I dreamed I walked on the streets of gold. I dreamed I was in the presence of God. He said, I was so troubled. So when I went to pray, I prayed, now, Lord... I've always wanted to dream about going to heaven. And I ask that you allow my neighbor to dream about going to hell so he wouldn't want to go there. And he said, the Lord spoke to me and said, yes, this is true. They said, the truth of the matter is, if all of my children would remember what it's like to be lost, that and that alone would serve as a real impetus because they hold the key to keeping people out of hell. The sinner doesn't really have that key. He said, here I was seeing Calvary and I was seeing heaven and praying my, my neighbor. He said, I won my neighbor to God, but contrary to what I thought, it was that dream and that dream alone that caused me to pray untiringly for Him. And it was His love for God and His love for Calvary that caused Him to give His life to the Lord. I don't want to be lost. I don't know that I've reached a place that I can pray that 
I would be separated from God if others would be lost. I don't know that many people in history have been able to do that. I'm not even for sure that when the Apostle Paul made this statement that that was what he was talking about. Some say it was and some say otherwise. I'm not for sure when Jesus prayed that he fully understood what the, all the possibilities were. But I do know this, that, that Jesus died, and in his vicarious suffering, by that I mean he took my place on the cross, that if he had not have died, I'm sure I wouldn't even be alive today. You see, the world was marching on a, a, a road that... It was a road of no return to hell. The Bible says when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. When the human race could not stand it any longer without the judgments of God resting upon Him, a little baby was born. They wrapped Him in swaddling clothes and placed Him in a manger. Oh yes, Brother Manley mentioned this. It was a star that led the wise men and the shepherds to Jesus. But I'd like to add one more dimension, my friend. When they found Him, they forgot about the star. And hopefully many of you can be that shining light that will lead somebody to Jesus. And when they find Him, their allegiance won't be to you, but it'll be to God Himself. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Now, I've reached a place that I believe that everybody in this place should be, should be involved in winning someone to God. I don't know what stages you are in, in, in that relationship with some sinner, but... How can we be Christian if we don't do what Christ did? Now, I have never preached that everybody has to teach a home Bible study. I believe some do and some don't. But I will say this. I do believe that everybody ought to be involved in winning someone to the Lord. And then, of course, after they have won that person to God, they need to become a spiritual parent. To that person. Now, this is the thing that 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 is really trying because th this is the area in which you give yourself to to that spiritual child, just like a a man would go to work with with rigorous pains in his body, or a woman would go just to put food on the table so that children can come to our school or any school and go into the lunchroom and have a good meal and. And be clothed well and shoes on the feet and, and you know, it's usually the person that's not suffering that, that is the beneficiary of those type things. And isn't it just natural as Christians that God put this in our heart to want to give ourselves unreservedly? You know, there, there's a vast difference between dignity and pride, and yet they're so closely related. 
let me just tell you my own definition. You may go to, to the dictionary and you may disagree with this because of the fine line that separates the two, and I understand that, but basically pride calls attention to oneself. Whereas dignity calls attention to a purpose. Something that's far greater than the individual. This is the reason why our military military men with great national pride, which is dignity, they square their shoulders. They're taught to march. They're, they're taught to go to battle. They're taught to defend. They're taught to sacrifice. They're taught to, to give themselves. And if you will look in 2 Timothy 2, where I just read to you about the passing on of this, if you will look at verse 3, he's talking about a good soldier. He even goes on to say that a good soldier will not entangle himself with the cares of this life. Let's read it. Verse 3, Thou therefore endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. What is he saying? When you pass this gospel on to somebody else, it requires sacrifice, sometimes even the giving of your own life. But there's a dignity in it that calls attention, calls attention to something greater than your own personal endeavors. Because you're defending something that's greater than your own life. No man that warreth entangled himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. I don't know, every time I see our, our men dressed in military uniforms, they're just something. I, you may feel differently when our students, and we do this occasionally, we stand and pledge allegiance to the flag, there's something that chokes up inside of me. Talk to some of the kids that are going to Mexico. Let me tell you something. Of all the places I've been, I've been to Mexico, I've been in the Caribbean, I've, I've been in Europe, there's no place like the United States of America. Because I think that most of them could say, like Paul, if in this life only I had hope in Christ Jesus, I'd be above all men most miserable. I personally sat and ate and worshipped with people that lived in houses smaller than my king-sized bed. I'm serious with you. The little brother down and lived in Nevis. The Leeward Islands. This brother, he was just so thrilled. He said, Brother Grant, it's the greatest thrill of my life that I could give you this birthday gift. He had a little bitty thing that he bought. I don't know where he bought it. Just a little pin type thing. I've never worn it. I mean, it would look awkward if I wore it. You understand what I'm saying? But he gave me that and said, Brother Grant, this is from me. It was my birthday. And when I, when I started out to catch the airplane, I didn't know he was coming over there. This little brother, he reached around the corner. And he tapped me on the shoulder and said, Brother Grant, he said, don't ever forget me. And I said, I won't. He said, remember, I'm the birthday man. He lived in a little house, six foot by eight foot, 48 square feet. My king-size bed was seven by seven, 49 square feet. 
he was a leper. He's never been married. And God healed him. Took his leprosy away. He's the only man I've ever seen take the offering and preach to everybody. If you didn't put in money, he'd preach to you. I mean, he'd dance and he'd preach. He said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And there's no cause on this world like the cause of Christ. I mean, you had to put something in, he'd preach to you. And he'd take half the service taking the offering. Just give him the pan and let him go. And we just go ahead with the service and he's going to get a good offering. He didn't care how much he got for himself. It didn't make any difference. He was just interested in seeing one more person saved. One more person come to God. Then I see people that bring people in the kingdom of God and they won't bear the responsibility of personally discipling them. What would you think about a mother to have one baby after the other and put them up for adoption? Don't like them. Don't want children. It's just a natural thing that when you're, you know, we just look at all the babies we have around here. A couple gets married, after a while there's a family. That's what life is all about. You can say, oh, well, stop having babies and you'll find out. There won't be anybody to preach to. There won't be anybody to preach. And when a precious couple cannot reproduce a child, there's great turmoil usually in that home. I'll tell you what, I have had some very serious meetings with families that would say, we want a child and we can't have a child. We love each other and we feel complete. But we feel that there will be such fullness and joy that would come to our household if somehow we could just have a child. After years of trying to have a child and couldn't, they finally decided they would try to adopt. And they put their name in and they kept submitting and they ran ads in newspapers and advertised nationally. And then all of a sudden, listen, I've had this to happen. I've had couples call me and said, guess what, Brother Grant? There is a child, a couple from Wisconsin, and I had recommended that they go to Two Below Children's Mansion. They called me and said, Brother Grant, Brother Drury called. The sister called me. She said, they have a child for us. She said, my husband and I have been married 16 or 17 years. We thought we never would have a child. I said, well, tell me something about the baby. I thought that. She said, you know, we didn't ask. I said, is it a boy or a girl? I said, I think it's a little girl. I said, is it an infant or what? Well, we didn't ask. That's how excited they were. They didn't really care. Just give us somebody that we can transfer our being, our life, our values into. Does it make any difference if it's male or female? 
age doesn't make any difference. Just let us have a child. You see Hannah in the Old Testament when she was weeping and praying at the altar of God, she reached a place where she couldn't even talk. Rachel, the wife of Jacob, wept for her children because they were not. I don't know what it is in ladies. I see these little tiny girls get these little dolls. They want dolls. Got to take a bottle. Saw the diapers. Change the diapers. My. Make it as big as life if you can. And then I see the abortion clinics. The sickest I've ever been in my life was watching a video entitled The Silent Stream. As I watched a little baby in its mother's womb try to avoid the suction cups of an abortionist. That little child was kicking and opening his mouth and screaming. Naturally, no, no sound. We're trying to avoid that. Then we see a proud couple like Brother Trinidad and Sister Catherine bring little Trinidad the third in here. My. Just... Dark hair, dark skin, dark eyes. You look at him and say, But a lot of these little fellows are thrown in the trash cans. That's not the natural process of life, it's an unnatural process. It's unnatural to get married and hate kids. I've noticed some adults that I can't stand kids. I hate kids. I have all my life. Well, it's hard for me to believe that a kid would hate kids. As if, you know, kids get on my nerve. What do you think you were? You didn't just drop out of heaven as perfect as you are now, you know. <clears throat> I just read this this past week the planet Earth, January 1st, 1994, there were 5,600,000,000 people on this planet Earth. This next year, we'll go into the 6 billion bracket. Did you know that there are 10,000 babies born every minute on the planet Earth? You think about it. When I preach 10 minutes... There have been 100,000 babies born. Isn't that something? Somebody must love them. Somebody must care for them. Somebody must give their life. If you drive from here to, to New York City or past Chicago and you look at all the factories with the smoke coming out, you look at all the highway men that are working, 
You see all the trucks passing you and the way stations. Everybody's involved in doing something. Why? Tell me why. Just making a living. Giving myself for what? For the most part, for somebody else. For somebody else. It's, it, it's, a, it's an amazing thing how life really stacks up. Charlie and I had a long talk the other night, and we were just talking. Just for some reason, we both concluded that there's got to be something greater in life than, than just living and making a living. What is it? It has to be our involvement with other people. It's, it's not how nice a home you can have. It's not, it's not how many cows you can have. It's not how many quarter horses you can have. It's not how many cars you can have. Life has got to be more than that. It's passing yourself on to somebody else. And of course... In a Christian sense, it's it's handing the baby Jesus, so to speak. Take him in, in hand and handing him to somebody else. It's acquainting him with the healer of Galilee. It's taking him to the cross of the crucified one. It's leading him out. To the Mount of Ascension. It's showing that person who God really is. What he can do for the human race. If there's one thing that we're not doing at Calvary Gospel Church, it's this. And hear me clearly. We're doing a great job praying people through the Holy Ghost. But we're, we are abandoning too many Babies. Everybody that's here must become involved in saving someone. You can't bring a child in the world and just take it out someplace in the backyard and say, You're on your own, buddy. You can't do that. And sometimes when people are born in the kingdom of God, they have all kinds of Spiritual problems, physical problems. Almost everyone coming to God nowadays has problems. But if you have a child that has a problem, a physical problem when he's born, maybe a weak heart, lungs are not developed, whatever, even sometimes some mental problems, you spend more time with that child. Nature itself teaches you, I've got to pour more of myself in to develop him. Shouldn't it be that same way in a spiritual sense? I'll tell you a little story at the conclusion of this message. It really did touch my heart. I told a couple of ladies in the church, and they became so interested. January 23rd, 1994, Don Moran came down on a cold winter day, artificially inseminated a cow. Most of you know that he's been involved in that. And this cow was approaching three years of age. She never had a baby. Even though he had inseminated her a couple of times, we're not really for sure why. 
but uh, she was just never with calf. And so we decided, well, we'll try again. It's wintertime. It's not a good time because the baby will be born November 1st. So November 1st came, and no baby calf. <clears throat> well, this, this cow was, was large. Don looked at her a couple of weeks before the calf was born, and we checked her, and sure enough, she was pregnant. She's going to have a baby. And she's a big cow. She must weigh 1,550, 1,600 pounds. Big black Angus cow. Wider than this pulpit. Quite a bit wider. Tall. Just a big cow. Actually, perhaps the best cow that I have as far as confirmation is concerned. We'd bred her a couple of times to an Angus bull artificial inseminator, and then we decided that we would breed her, crossbreed her, so we bred her to a big uh, key Angus bull, 68 inches high at the hips. His name is Amos. And he's 68 inches. That's 5 foot 8 at the hips. We're up there. Close to 3,000 pounds. Well, <clears throat> this cow's name is Sarah. <coughs> and uh, So... <clears throat> I've got some cows that are named after some people in the church. Actually, I didn't name them after them. They just... <clears throat> I've only had one person in the church that said, don't name a cow after me. And I told Bertha I would not do that. <clears throat> See what it is. Now, here's the thing, okay? Oh, let's get on with this story, okay? <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> so, November 1st came, no cow. All right. Two or three days later, still no calf. We put her up in this this one pen. This cow does not like for you to touch her. She's big. She's strong. She's powerful. I mean, she would have no problem at all running me down. She's much bigger than I am, and besides that, I can't run. Okay, and, and Sarah can move, I'm telling you. So, week went by, uh, still nothing getting larger and larger and of course after the time of delivery these calves uh, get very very large we had two calves born in 1993 that weighed 99 pounds apiece born within a couple of days now that's, that's big that's real big and we were real concerned and of course you could tell you know she's Wow, she's having problems, at least we thought. She's big, and she's getting bigger, and we thought, we got to do something. So finally, we got the vet out, and and the vet checked her and said, well, there's no, no real problem. 283 days, that's when we set the due date, no calf. Week went by, no calf. Another four or five days, no calf. He came out, and he said, the calf is turned right. It's not too big. Seems to be healthy. It's alive. Everything's going to be all right. Don't worry about it. She'll have it within 36 to 72 hours. Well, no calf. I woke up on my birthday, November 14th. And Charlie looked out and he came in and said, Brother Grant, we got a calf. Boy, I'm telling you, it was bright and early in the morning, and man, you talking about scurrying around. We hit the floor. 
We ran. We looked out the window and picked up the binoculars and looked down there. And sure enough, there was a calf. One problem, however. It was a big, strong, aggressive cat. But it was chasing its mother. And its mother was kicking it and fighting it. I'm serious with you. She wanted nothing to do with this calf. She was afraid of it. And so we went down there, still sleepy in our eyes, you know, mean before caffeine. Trying to see what we can do. But there's one problem. Sarah is bigger than Charlie, Sister Grant, and I. And we can't hold Sarah. And we'd push that little calf up there and she'd take her head and she'd just literally throw it. And this little calf would come back toward its mother with its little mouth. It was so cute. Hungry as it could be. No, Sarah's not going to have anything to do with it. Now that is so unnatural. I said, what are we going to do? Well, the calf must have the first milk, the colostrum. Otherwise, there will not be the proper antibodies in his body or her body. It was a heifer calf. She will die. Where did she get those? She gets it from her parent, her mother. Did you know there's something that you and I must put in new converts when they're first born? And if we don't put it in them then, they won't make it. They've got to have it right then. Because their resistance against the devil and all of sin... will not be there. So what are we going to do? So I have this loading chute. It's got a head gate. We run Sarah in there, put a bar behind, and the little calf. Now he's very aggressive. He goes right up there. And I'm telling you, I mean, he just locks on like a bloodsucker. You won't get her off either. I mean, she just, well, I thought, well, this will be all right. We'll turn Sarah loose and turn the baby loose. Would you believe that little baby after that encounter with its mother, when when we let her out, she went over there and that little calf come up to her mother, put her head down like this and shook her head and she was going to butt her mother's head, play with her mother, and her mother just took her and threw her away. It was a rainy day. And it was muddy. So the mother goes up in where all the hay and everything is and the little calf goes out falls down in the mud in the slop manure and lays down and looks at mother while mother's in the comfort of the shed Sarah won't let her in there don't want her in here with me so I lock her up in the afternoon and the little cat goes again and nurses but whenever I turn Sarah out, she's worse thin than she was to start with. 
I get up at midnight and I go down. It's raining, sloppy. Walk Sarah up so this little baby can nurse. There at midnight, when I turn them loose, the little baby ran inside the shed with his mother, and the mother just took him, just pushed it out of the way, turning, kicked it. Mm. I don't want to have anything to do with her. I said, well, what are we going to do? Well, we said, I guess the very best cow that I have, I'm going to have to make a decision, just sell her. That's what I'll have to do. <clears throat> I wonder what God thinks when person after person comes our way that needs spiritual food and we don't have time for them. I'm here to tell you she did not want anything to do with this day. So I got to thinking about it. I even prayed about it. <clears throat> thought, I'm going to call Don Moran. He got this cow in the shape she's in. He's going to have to have the answer to this. Hey, Don. You know what he said? He said, she's probably nervous. You know, she was she's three years old, and they usually have calves before then. So why don't you take an old cow and put in there with her? And I thought, well, I have her mother. Her mother's name is Stella. So each one of the cat, cows that has a calf, I will name it after, or use the, the, the letter that the mother's name is. So I got Stella, and I have Sarah, and I have Sissy. And we named this one special. Because she was born on my birthday. And you know what I did? I said, I know what I'll do. Because Stella has a baby that needs to be weaned. I'll put Stella, which is Sarah's mother, in there. And because she has been, you know, around her mother all her life, maybe, that, maybe she is nervous. Maybe she doesn't know what to do. And would you believe I put this old grandmother in there? And the first thing she did, she walked up. This this little baby had not been cleaned up. She was crusty and nasty and dirty. You know, usually the mothers lick them up and clean them up and take care of them. This old grandmother walks up there while the mother's standing over there in the corner having nothing to do with it. She just starts licking and cleaning this little baby up. And she licks and cleans this baby. And that little tail starts wagging. Now, she won't let her nurse, naturally, because, you know, they, they, they have a different smell. They know their own babies. They won't let them nurse. But I mean to tell you, she she starts talking this this baby. You can hear them talking. They go, mm, mm, mm. And she's licking and cleaning her up. Sarah's watching. Would you believe the next morning when daylight came, we hit the floor again, we looked down there, and guess what? little special was nursing her mother. And when I walked in there that morning, Sarah kind of looked at me kind of funny, and she went, mm, I don't come near me and my baby. Mm, mm. Why? Because mother taught her how to take care of a baby. You know, some of the best examples we have in this church are some of our 
grandparents now in the Lord. When Sister Juanita Hitterstorff came to God, Sister Rowe just mothered her, took care of her. Just like she was her own daughter. Look at Irv and Eileen Manley on the back. We do not have a couple in this church that have taken care of more babes in Christ. I looked throughout the congregation. Some of your grandparents in God already. Because you produce children, taking care of them, and your children have children. Some of your great grandparents in God. Could we just look around at all these good people who are giving themselves brothers and say this is what life is all about? Can we use them for examples? And all of you fathers and mothers in God, if necessary, teach your children how to take care of their babies. It was a happy, happy day for a little special when Mother, we walked out the other night, Mother hurt her legs somehow. I don't know how she hurt her legs. When we turned her out of that little pen, she took out running and bucking, and this little special took out with her mother. And evidently she fell or something because she's all swollen up in the pasture and she's dragging her leg around. She won't let us too much with it. But I saw this little baby just a couple of days ago walk up to its mother, put its head down like this, kind of roll her eyes, butt her mother, and her mother took her head and played back with her. I thought, the miracle of nature. Isn't that something? I've asked several farmers. I don't know much about it, but they said you'll never have a problem with it from now on. She'll always know how to take care of her babies. But who taught her? Her own mother taught her how to do it. Many of us need to be taught. We need to be taught how to love. It may mean laying down our lives. But isn't that what life is all about? Each one win one. We talked about the 1991. 1991 is long gone. Some of us haven't thought about it since. But let's renew tonight. Let's renew ourselves to this purpose, to this cause. Every person who's baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost, don't leave this place tonight until you purpose in your heart, I will spiritually parent someone. I will teach someone how to live for God. I will nourish them. I will care for them. I will call them. Oh, I want you to stand.
know that this is basically a message for our people. We have some guests here, but I want you to know, if you're a guest of ours, we do love you. We do care for you. We have to occasionally talk like this because it's needful to us. But please understand, we do it because we really care for you. You're the reason why that a message is given by God to a man like myself. Because Jesus cares. Because Jesus loves. Now we have people who are here that are not baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. First to you, we're going to give you an invitation to come and give your heart to God. Now for someone near you that is a guest, if you want to invite that person to come and pray, please feel free to do that right now. You can come and stand or kneel down here at the front. We have Christian workers throughout the building that would be glad to come and pray with you. Come on right now. Come on right now. Oh, God, yes, Lord. Now, if you haven't fully committed yourself to win others to the Lord. Why don't you just step out and come and recommit your life to the Lord. Come on right now. What I 